I've said it before that Jonah has become the example of why some that are critics of the Bible don't believe the Bible. They would say that the book of Jonah is an exaggeration. It's not possible that a whale could swallow a man. It's not possible that a man could endure that for three days and still come out alive. And so again, they use the book of Jonah as a reason for not believing the Bible. And if some say, you know, preacher or you, uh, do you really believe that story? Yes, we do. Jesus said, as, uh, uh, Jesus, sorry, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus believed in the story of Jonah. So if our Lord does, we would have no reason to question what it says. I'd like us to look here at Jonah chapter 2. And uh, last time we looked at the first four verses I'd like to finish chapter number two, and if you'd follow as I read just two verses at the end of Jonah 2, and that would be verse number 7 and verse number 10. Again, Jonah chapter 2, if you'd follow as I read verse 7, verse 10. Verse number 7, when my soul fainted within me, Jonah is in the whale, and he is thinking these words, he is praying this prayer. Again, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee in thy, into thy holy temple. Verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so thankful how you have answered so many prayers this last week. Thankful for the testimony of Brother Leckham and continue to direct their family each step that you'd have them take. And Lord, we thank you for helping in so many other ways. I know that we've heard from Mrs. Donnelly, who had her second hip surgery today. Lord, we're still waiting to hear the results from that, but we trust, Lord, that you've helped her in the second surgery as you did in the first. Again, direct our thoughts, direct our minds. May we trust in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the story of Jonah is familiar. We know that there in chapter number one that God spake to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. And God said to Jonah, uh, verse number 2 of chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh would have been north and east of where Jonah was. And uh, Jonah really had no desire to do that. And so Jonah went down, according to chapter 1, verse 3. He went down to a seaport, and he got the very first ship heading out there entirely the different direction. So he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And as soon as he got inside that ship, he went down below and fell asleep. Well, God, of course, knew exactly what Jonah was up to. And so God began by sending a wind, sending a storm, and it was absolute chaos. Those other shipmen on that boat that should have been used to any kind of weather like that, totally petrified. And uh, they couldn't understand what was happening they began to ask each other, is it you, is it you, is it because of you? Until they found out that Jonah was a preacher, but he was running from God. And uh, he finally said, if you want to stop the storm, you need to throw me overboard. They didn't want to do that. They tried to throw everything else overboard but him. But finally they did. It says there in Jonah 1 verse 15, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging and you know, because they threw that Jonah overboard, God got some glory even out of those men. Verse 16, 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice in the Lord and made vows. So God accomplished something, even through this Jonah that was running from God. And we know that chapter 1, verse 17, God prepares a great fish. We know it was whale. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And chapter 1 ends with Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Last week, as we looked at chapter number 2, we were reminded everything in chapter 2 happened while Jonah was in that whale. Now, certainly, the ship on top of the water, it was now calm, and the sea was calm, and there was no wind, and everything was fine. But while Jonah was still in that whale, it wasn't fine for him. God was doing some things to get Jonah's attention and uh, we saw that last week, how God did a number of things. Um, and so still in chapter number two, and, and I don't know if you have anything on the headings of your chapters, some Bibles do, but chapter number two here is the prayer of a backslidden preacher. And uh, you know what? From time to time, preachers use the word backslidden. It's a Bible word. We know that that word backslid or backslidden or backslide 17 times in the Bible we know the very first time, it's in Proverbs, the backslider in heart is, uh, shall be filled with his own ways. So we learn from that, and by the principle of first mention, we know that backsliding starts in the heart. And it would be possible for any of us to be backslidden and people on the outside not know it, because it starts in the heart. Uh, we know that of the 17 times that word backslide or a variation, we've, it's found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was uh, speaking to God's chosen people, so even God's people can be backslidden. We understand those things. So really, chapter number two, Jonah isn't yet right with God. And so God is trying to work in Jonah's life. And so if you would, my title, I know that some of you take titles, How God Works in a Backslider's Life. Now, I'm not suggesting you're backslidden. I, I'm trying not to suggest I'm backslidden. But, you know, we sing that song from time to time. It's in our hymn book, Prone to Wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, folks, that word prone just means our own flesh. That's the direction that it wants to go. If you coast or I coast in our Christian life, we are not going to coast closer to God. If we're allowed to coast, we are going to wander further away from God. So whether that's true in some loved one's life that's dear to you and you're praying for them, if it be true in you or me, I'd like us to look at some things that God does to bring a backslider back to God. That really is chapter number two. Have a look at the first thing here, and these things ought to be an encouragement to you. Because if someone close to you is not close to God, and they're saved, but they just, God isn't on the top of their list, it ought to be an encouragement to you that God is doing these things in their life. You might not be able to see it, I might not be able to see it, but praise God, God does things that we can't always see. It ought to be an encouragement in your own life that God cares enough that he won't just let it happen without trying to help us. So look there, first of all, preacher, what kind of things does God work? How does God work in a backslider's life? Uh, first thing there is Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. 
Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 6. I should make it verse 7. I'm quoting the wrong thing. Jonah 2 and verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered. Now, I know the rest of that phrase is, I remember the Lord, but I want you to focus on remembered. Could I say to you that if you or I begin to wander from God, one of the first things that God will do in each of our minds is remind us of how things used to be. I, my first point here is first way God works in a backslider's life is he stirs a remembrance of good times. Now, we know that the Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. So you can't and I can't wander from God and it just be peaches and cream. It doesn't work like that. Because peace comes from God. If you or I are wandering from God, it won't be all peace. And God, in his graciousness, when anyone is wandering further and further from God, besides a lack of peace, God is going to stir up memories of how things used to be. And folks, that's a good thing. I know that all of us that have children, want to have children, had children, uh, they're already grown and gone, I know that uh, many of them continue on the path for God, but you know that they all don't. And uh, those years that we invested to direct their steps God's way, they don't always continue those steps. But, you know, it's a good thing to know that if one chooses, I don't want that kind of a Christian life, that God in his graciousness is going to remind them of the good times that they had in the past. If you still have children and they're still at home and they're still younger, you could live in fear. Well, what if my children don't decide to do right? You could live in fear. They're, 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 I've actually had some that have told me, Newly married, I'm not sure that I even want to have children. And it's not because they want a career path and they want to buy houses and boats and cars and trains and planes. It's not that they are directed toward the things of the world. That's not their fear. It's not that I want things instead of children. That would be a very poor choice for anyone to take. But I've had some that have said, I have watched children that were raised in church and turn on their heels and walk away from church, I'm not sure that I even want to have children. We understand that. Could I say, in these years, if God has given you children, would you create some precious times? Would you create some good times? Would you create some godly times? Would you create some spiritual times? Would you create some things that God forbid that those children one day later decide, I'm not sure I want all of this. That God can remind them about that. God can remind them about that time. And God can remind them, I say it's a good God. First thing that we notice here, how God works in a backslider's life, is he stirs a remembrance of good times. And again, if you or I have wandered away from God, it requires only a change of heart to come back home. 
But God begins to do that by memories. Keep your hand there in Jonah. If you would look in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I suppose the most familiar account of a backslider would be the prodigal son. I suppose that would be the most familiar one. And we know that there came a time where that prodigal son did not want home, did not want dad, did not want rules, did not want any of that stuff. And he just decided he was going to go to a far country. Well, we know that what he thought the far country would be like, it didn't turn out to be what it was like at all. And when he finally got to the bottom of the barrel and was holding on to the end of the rope, look there in Luke 15 and verse 17. The Bible says, and when he, as the prodigal son, came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. You know what he's doing? He's remembering. He's remembering when he was still at home. He's remembering how good it was at home. He's remembering how good his servants had it at home. I'm saying to you that many times God will use our memory of good times, and, and I, I think he remembered good times around the family. And good times around fun, and, and good times around having plenty. I'm sure he remembered the care of his father. He, I'm sure he remembered the protection of his home. I, we're not told anything about his mother. But I have to believe that he had a mother somewhere. You can't have a boy without a mother somewhere. Who knows whether she passed away? Who knows? We're not given any details, and so all we could do is surmise but I wonder if he didn't remember the loving songs of his dear old mother. I wonder if maybe he remembered sitting around the living room and feeling the peace. And that prodigal remembered the family, maybe praying together about various things and seeing how God answered prayer. He remembered the feeling of what it used to be to be full. Now he realized that he was empty. And I'm saying that God began according to Luke 15, 17, where he came to himself and remembered. I, I, I say to you, first of all, that God works by stirring the remembrance of good times. Now, again, Jonah was a prophet. He was a preacher. And so that would suggest that somewhere God had called him into the ministry. And somewhere God had used him in preaching in the past. We know from a reference in the New Testament that Jonah is said to have been a preacher. Well, that means he preached. If we brought it up to 2023, he preached in churches. They had old-fashioned meetings, and maybe folks walked the aisle, and he watched people who had no faith in God place their faith in God. If we call it in our day and age, you remember the tent meetings and the international dinners and the youth conferences. You remember the fall revivals and the laughters and the setting the tent up and the rickshaw races. You remember the laughter and the comradeship and the banquets and the ball games and the picnics. He remembered constructing the buildings and building the picnic tables and installing the gate. He remembered the all-night prayer meetings. He remembered how God answered those prayers so many times. You say, well, preacher, where do you get all of that? Well, we get that Jonah chapter 2 again. You can let go of Luke. But Jonah chapter 2 and verse 7, when my soul fainted within me. So he's not doing well. His soul is fainting. 
when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Well, he's running from the Lord in chapter 1. So God is stirring his memory to remember how good it used to be. Now, if you spiritually are on top of the world, God bless you for it. <laughs> Pastor, I'm afraid I'm not there. Then God will use some memories to try to draw you back. We already looked at it last week, but we find in chapter number 2 that no less than seven times in chapter number 2 did Jonah quote something from the book of Psalms. So God, in, in uh, stirring Jonah's memory, not only remembered about good times, he remembered about scriptures, he remembered about the Bible that he had heard preached. Yeah, maybe he remembered about the sweet songs they used to sing. Maybe he remembered his call to preach. Maybe he remembered the blessings of God. Maybe he remembered the circle of friends that he used to have. And I'm saying to you, when someone is wandering from God, you say, preacher, there's no hope. They don't care about God. They don't care about good. But that's all that we can see. That's judging somebody from the outside. It's a good God that begins to stir their memories. And that's what we've seen. Of course, if a lost person goes to hell, they'll have a perfect memory. I know you've let go of Luke, and you see you don't have to turn to it again, but Luke chapter number 16. Luke 16 talks about that rich man and Lazarus. And Luke chapter 16 and verse 25. This is that rich man in hell. And, but Abram said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. So even in hell, a lost person, God will use their memory, but all of their remembering won't do them any good. If you're still alive, if I'm still alive, and God uses our memory to draw us back to help us. And you know, isn't that exactly what God did to the Apostle Peter? Even while he's warming his hands by the fire were the very soldiers that arrested him. He remembers what Jesus had said to him. I give you a second thing back there in Jonah chapter 2. Look there, verse 8. So the first way that God works in a backslider's heart is he stirs a remembrance of good times. And no doubt he puts into the heart of that person, listen, you could have that again. Second thing is Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 8. It says there, uh, Jonah... That's chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You say, Pastor, honestly, what does that say? Well, Jonah is speaking on behalf of somebody who's wandered from God. And he wandered from God because he got his eyes on something else. And so Jonah is making an observation, they that observe lying vanities. So those that begin to focus on some promise that this world has given them, and it's no doubt a lying promise. This Jonah, as he begins to remember the Lord and remember the good times, he recognizes blanket statement, he says here, they that observe lying vanity. So no doubt he has to include himself in this, but he's saying I began to focus on, I began to observe. 
I began to look at, I, I, I began to put my attention on, but the wrong things, not the things of God, unlying vanities. Keep reading verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I don't have to tell you this, but it, it needs to be said in light of the verse, we serve a merciful God. And you know when we make bad choices and take bad directions and, and listen to bad counsel and, and when all of that, and just make a bad mistake. Some in this world, and even some Christians in this world said, guess what, you're done. You can never retrace your steps again. You're finished, you're through. And some would say that you have missed out and there's no mercy from God for you. Don't listen to that. As long as there is still blood pumped in the veins of your body, as long as there is still breath in your lungs, it doesn't matter what has happened in the past. God still has mercy. But you know, you kind of forget that mercy when you take your eyes, or I take my eyes off of God and get it on other things. So I say, secondly, if you're taking notes, he shows us that we are the reason that the blessings are gone. So he stirred us about a time when there was blessings in our life. And then he reminds us it was the choices that we made. We began to observe the wrong things. I, I read this story Apparently, it's a true story about a man who died in poverty. Years after he died, the family was notified that in a town where that father once lived, that there was a large sum of money in a bank account that belonged to that deceased man. And when these children heard about that, they went to the bank, tried to find the rest of the story. What they found out that their dad was a young man, he had lived for God. But somewhere in his middle years, he wandered away from God. He wandered into sin. He spent many years uh, living in wickedness before returning to God in the later years of his life. So he lived for the Lord. Then in the middle years, he lived for himself. And then right at the last year of his life, he turned back to God. And yet, for some reason, he had some money sitting in a bank. They couldn't understand that. What they found out was during his years in sin that he had moved from one town to another. And in the process of all those vain pursuits, that he had last lost all that he had in the world, or at least he thought he had lost it all. And his mind had been so preoccupied with the sinful pleasures that he chose that he forgot that he had been building up a small fortune. And when he finally died, all alone and dirt poor, he didn't have to be. There was money set aside. There was available help. Could I put it in God's terms? There was mercy. He could have withdrawn some of God's mercy to restore himself Sadly, he didn't make that decision. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. Jonah had walked with God. Jonah had enjoyed the blessings of God. Jonah had heard God's voice directing his life. But here in chapter 2, he forsook all of that because he just wanted something else. And when he got to the bottom of that Mediterranean Sea, still in that whale, 
somewhere at the end of that line, he realized, I did this to myself. I'm saying to you, our God is God of mercy. So the second thing that God does is God begins to, you know, could I say this? I don't think you'd be surprised with it. When, when that prodigal son is running to the far country, he's got all fingers pointing at his dad. My dad's fault. My home's fault. It's that work fault. It's those requirements so unreasonable. All fingers of blame were pointed at his dad. When he got to that pig pen, he stopped blaming everyone else and he took credit for his own poor choices. And we see that's what's happening to Jonah. So again, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 8, they, and I just think Jonah's including himself in that, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And when Jonah is still in that belly of the whale, he remembers that the Lord has mercy. David knew that. David wrote, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And I say to you there, look in Jonah 2 and verse 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now think about that. As he's in this whale down on the bottom of the Mediterranean, he begins to first remember about the good times. That's a good thing. God's doing that. He realizes that I have made some very poor choices. Can't blame somebody else. Have to take credit myself. And that's why in verse number 9, but I will sacrifice unto the unto God... Well, that suggests he had stopped sacrificing. So he's returning to doing what he had done before, sacrifice. Not only that, with a voice of thanksgiving, it suggested he stopped thanking God. So he returns to sacrifices. He returns to thanking God. He returns to keeping the vows that he's made. I, I know that we're not told what vows it is that Jonah made, but I, I just, I, I can only look back when God called me into the ministry. I made some promises. I said, Lord, where you open the door, that's the door I'll take. I'll go where you want me to go. I have to believe that Jonah, at some time in his call as a prophet, said, God, I will go wherever you open a door. Well, he must have done that for a period of time until this call to go preach to Nineveh. And all of a sudden, he forgot that vow that he had made. And so he said, Lord, I'm going to return to making sacrifices. I stopped that. I'm going to return to thanking you. I stopped thanking. thanking. And I'm going to return to keeping my vow. So we've seen two things that God does, how he works in the backslide of his life. First, he stirs a remembrance of good times. Second, he shows us that we're the reason that the blessings are gone. I give you a third thing. Look there at the end of verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. Now that term shows up many times in our Bible. We know that when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, there in the early chapters of Exodus, the very first place that they came was to the Red Sea. We know there's this great body of water in front. There's a mountain on each side, and there is Egypt's army behind and these people are rattled. They said it would have been better if we'd stayed in Egypt and 
What does Moses say? The Bible tells us there, Exodus 14, 13. Moses said, fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. That word salvation, when you and I normally use that word, we're talking about sinner who's saved from the penalty of their sins. Often salvation to us is an eternal decision when we trusted Christ. But throughout the Bible, sometimes salvation is a far more practical daily, God is going to rescue me out of this trouble. It's not just saving a lost soul, it's rescuing from the dilemma. And you know what he says here? Salvation's of the Lord. Jonah, it's looking pretty tough. I mean, not too many people have been in the belly of a whale in the bottom of a sea and ever got out of it, but our God is in the saving business. Whatever situation you or I might be in, the world can't help us. God can help us. And so again, the third thing, if you take notes, the third way God works in a backslider's life is to remind us the repair we need is only found in God. Again, the repair that we need is only found in God. How many times did David say those words, salvation is of the Lord? And that's always been the gospel that God's people have proclaimed, every kindred and tongue and tribe, that salvation is of the Lord. And one day when we enter heaven's gates, do you know we will be singing about that salvation? I, I'll read from Revelation 19 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1 talks about after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. So someone is saying this or singing this in heaven, Alleluia, salvation, and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. So we are going to be singing in all of eternity about that the fact that salvation is what God has always provided, not only for our sin condition that would take us to hell, but also for our daily needs. I say three things so far. Pastor, how does God work in a backslider's life? First of all, he stirs a remembrance of good times. He reminds them there once were times that were so much better. Secondly, he shows us that we're the reason the blessings are gone. Third, that the repair we need is only found in God. I give you the last thing. Look there in Jonah 2 and verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I, I don't know what we're going to be allowed to see when we get to heaven. Uh, there are some Old Testament accounts that I would love to see. If we can come up with DVD, I'm sure God can do it better. But that would be something worth seeing that God commands this whale that has swallowed Jonah, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. <laughs> Understand, to this point, God has been asking Jonah to do something, to preach in Nineveh. And Jonah is saying, God, I can't. God, I just can't. And, and whether his can't was... I'm too fearful. I, if, I'm told, and, and who reads encyclopedias anymore? I'm told probably the most accurate set of encyclopedias is the Encyclopedia Britannica. 
And so it, no one reads, and no, hardly anyone reads books anymore. But uh, years ago, I, I met a man, a man in a church in Connecticut, and he would make models of the city of Babylon. And I said to him, brother, I said, you're getting all this out of your head? He said, no, I'm getting out of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I said, that's just a, a worldly resource. He said, you'd be surprised how much is in there. How did we get to that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Jonah is in the belly of the whale. I keep wanting to say welly of the bale. The belly of the whale. And he's in there because when God called him to preach in Nineveh, he said, I can't. Oh, here's why. Encyclopedia Britannica said the Ninevites had a reputation that the mere mention of their name brought fear to the bravest of soldiers of any other country. So Nineveh was just a horrifying opponent. So maybe Jonah was saying, God, I can't go to Nineveh, not there because of those people. Maybe that's why. Some have said Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh and the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And if the enemy of Israel, the Ninevites, got right, then God would use them to hurt the Jewish nation. And so his fear was if the enemy gets right, God will use them to I don't know why he said, I can't. Jonah is saying, God, I just can't. I can't. I can't. You don't understand. It's not that I want to. don't want to. I can't. Ever known a Christian that said, I can't, to something that God said? And so what does God do? God tells this whale, time's up. <laughs> 72 hours have passed. I want you to take that preacher. I want you to take him to dry land and spit him out. And so sure enough, that whale does exactly what God says doing. And he drives, it, it doesn't say he spit him out on shallow water. It says he spit him out on dry land. Now you're either going to have to come to the conclusion that this whale was also a good spitter. Or this whale, in his obedience to God, just put that thing in top speed and went up that beach line until the whale itself was beached. Now, we read about that kind of stuff in the news all the time, where whales have been beached. I, I, Brother Knox has a great take on that. He said, I think that's a good thing. I think when they find a beached whale, they should let it die. <laughs> now, that doesn't sound too good, but... I said, why would you say that? He said, uh, evolutionists talk about the survival of the fittest. And so if that particular whale was stupid enough to beach itself, then it wasn't the fittest. It should be allowed to die. That's Brother Knox. I don't know if he has it in print. He's told that to me personally. But uh, you say, well, Pastor, that's a terrible thing. No, that was one obedient whale. I, I, I read just a little bit about whales, and I did get some of this from Brother Knox's book on Jonah. But uh, there's a whale that's called a pilot whale. And it's actually on the east coast of Florida, and those whales can swim very fast in forward. But for some reason, they're unable to throw the engine in reverse. The pilot whale cannot go backwards. 
So again, many times they'll swim toward the shore and they'll literally get stuck on that beach, whether it's on a sandbar before the shoreline on the shore, and because there's no reverse, they're just, they lay on that beach and die. Of course, that doesn't happen anymore. All the environmentalists fly from all parts of the world to rescue them. They leave their children at home, but they come to rescue a whale. That's a pilot whale. Now, I don't know. We're not told it's a pilot whale. It was some kind of whale. But can you imagine? God at first has told this whale, I want you to go swallow that backslidden preacher. So sure enough, the whale goes and does it. Yes, God. I know. He takes him down, 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 down. He's got him down for 72 hours. And there is a semblance of Jonah's understanding, I did this to myself. And I need to get back to doing what God wants me to do. But you know, if you know the last two chapters of Jonah, Jonah still isn't thoroughly right with God, if that ever happened. But God says to the whale, it's time to spit that preacher on dry land. And so the whale comes back up and just beaches himself. And as he gets up there and spits Jonah out, Jonah is sitting. Now, it, it's always been a bewilderment because every record of anybody that has been swallowed by a whale and survived, their skin was bleached, their hair was gone, they looked like a disaster. Can you imagine Jonah, now he's not on a chair, but Jonah sitting on that shore. We find from Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, that God says it's time to go preach to Nineveh. God hasn't changed his mind. I wonder if Jonah's still saying, I can't. God, I can't. You know what Jonah, within 25 feet of Jonah, he's hearing this, maybe behind him. And Jonah turns around to figure where that voice is coming from. And while Jonah has convinced himself that he cannot do what God has asked him to do, there's a whale that's dying. But he's dying because he obeyed what God told him to do. Can I give you the last thing that God will do in the life of a backslider? Last thing that God will do, and we notice it from this text, God will provide a rebuke by a godly example insight. Again, God will provide a rebuke by a godly example insight. I'm almost done. Whether it's me wandering, whether it's you wandering, whether it's some loved one that's close to us, God will help them to remember that there were good times. Secondly, God will remind them that it's me who made the bad decisions. Third, God will remind them that the Lord is the only answer to turn it around. And then God will put someone in their life who, although they themselves, you yourself, me, myself, although we ourselves are saying, God, I just can't. God's going to put somebody within eyesight that is. God, I can't read my Bible every day. 
God's going to put somebody in your life that every day, every day, every day they read their Bible. God, I can't be faithful to church three times. God's going to put somebody in your life that is. God, I can't pray. I, I, I can't have a prayer. God's going to put somebody in your life that has a prayer life. God, I can't win souls. I, I, I can't be out there on the street. I just can't. God's going to put somebody in your life that is doing what you say can't be done. What a good God. Now, let's bring this right back. If it's you or me, God will put somebody in our life that's doing what we say we can't do for God. But if it's our children, if it's a brother, a sister, a parent, make sure that you are the living example of what they're saying can't be done. Don't let you be their excuse because you're not doing it either. You know, it's true while our children are home, we probably have a bigger stick. When our children leave, all we have is the power of influence. What influence are we giving our children? Because folks, if, if they're seeing hit and miss in us, maybe it's not a child, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife. You say, preacher, they're, they're just not making the right decisions, pastor. Are they seeing in you somebody that's making the right decisions? We've looked at some things that God is doing in the life of a backslider. First, he's reminding them of good times. Secondly, he's not only doing that, but secondly, he's showing them that they're the reason the blessings are gone. Third thing, he's showing that the repair that's needed is only found in God. And then he's providing a rebuke by a godly example. Listen, folks, if you or I quit... For whatever reason, what will they say? Wouldn't it be better if they said, you know what? I'm amazed that they're still going. Let's pray. Father, we have finished up chapter 2. Lord, uh, really in chapter 1, it didn't end very good. Jonah was in a whale three days and three nights. But Father, something began to change in chapter 2. He begins to pray. He begins to look again to God. He begins to realize that there were times in his life that were good times. He realizes that because of his own choices, that's, he got his eyes on vain things. And he walked away from the mercy of God. He was reminded that God is the only answer. I've got to go back to God. And he was given a living example in eyesight Whereas he said, I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Not but a few feet away was somebody that laid down, something that laid down its life in order to be obedient to God. Help us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.